0: Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. This week we're doing South Dakota. Hi Kaylin. How Hi, <laughs> I'm good. So we are doing our second state today, which is the lovely state of South Dakota. I don't want to badmouth, I don't want to badmouth any of our states, because you know, we live in one that gets badmouthed a lot. But when we started our podcast, we um, kind of made the agreement between ourselves that Kaylin would do a more modern murder and I would try to focus on a more historical one like I did last week with the assassination of the former governor of Idaho. But Kaylin said something last week that kind of resonated with me and influenced my choice of murders for this week. So... We were talking last week about the death penalty and people being on death row. And just remind our listeners what your feelings were about that.
1: I just don't like that people get stuck on death row for so long that Mm if... I feel like if they're going to be put on death row, kill them soon. Don't make them sit there for years and years and years. Right.
0: And so (laughs) you'll like this, this week's murder because... Our perpetrator, our murderer, first of all, got a life sentence, okay. which later, and as I go through our crime, I'll tell you why, he ended up getting the death penalty okay. and then ended up committing suicide on death row. So he kind of fulfilled your wish for what happens to people on death row, but maybe in a kind of gruesome way. So we are going to go back to the year 1996 and look at a murder like I said that occurred in South Dakota and that is the murder of Piper Potts Strela. and I hope I'm saying her last name correct I might be mispronouncing it and this is definitely one of those very very tragic cases that proves the old proverb that the good die young so Piper was born Piper Potts down in Texas and she was a very religious young woman and she went to a Bible college in Oregon where she ended up meeting the man she would marry, a man named Vance. So they married and then three years later were living in a trailer on 40 acres in Canistota, South Dakota which is fairly remote, out, you know, in the middle of nowhere sort of a place. Because they had gone to a Bible college, obviously religion was important to them. And they had set up a part-time ministry that they were trying to grow. And they also ran the Prairie View Bible Camp for children. So this was very important to them. They also had two children of their own. They had a little girl named Shana, who was three, and a little boy named Nathan who turned two on the 29th of July of 1996. And unfortunately, this was both his birthday and the last day that his mother would be alive. That's sad. Very sad. So uh, the 29th of July, aside from being Nathan's birthday, started off fairly normally as it usually did for these two. Vance, who was 29 at the time, Was up at well left at 6:30 for a plumbing job that he had, and Piper, who was 28, worked at the Southeastern Children's Center, which was 20 miles away in Sioux Falls. So she had quite a drive to work. Um, On her way, she called the babysitter where she normally dropped off her own two children at 9:20. Said that they were on their way. Turned out, however, she had not yet left the house at that point. So there was a little confusion there.
1: I do that a lot, though. Me too.
0: So anyway, that 9.20 a.m. call to the babysitter was the last contact that anyone had with Piper. At noon, her husband called and left a message. And this is back in the good old days of, you know, the answering machine. And he left a message saying, honey, where are you? Because... She didn't answer, and I guess he wasn't sure where she was. At 3 p.m. that afternoon, her friend, Patty Sinclair, with whom she worked at the daycare, was very concerned because Piper had never shown up for work. So she, too, called home, called the house. Only this time, she did get an answer. And it was Piper's three-year-old daughter, Shana, who was hysterical when she answered the phone, immediately started yelling into the phone, I don't want my mommy to die. I don't want my daddy to die. They're probably killed. So, yeah, you can imagine.
1: I could not imagine my four-year-old saying something like that.
0: I can't imagine how traumatizing that would be to call your friend to check on her, and that's what you hear on the phone. Patty, however... Kept her head, seems to be a good clear thinker. She had a co-worker call the McCook County Sheriff and then continued to talk to Shana, kept Shana on the phone for the next 45 minutes until the sheriff could arrive at their house. It took 45 minutes? Well, remember, um, Patty's in, they're in Sioux Falls. They lived 20 miles away. Okay from the town so there's a distance to be traveled here so um that might account for i still feel like 45 minutes is way too long especially if you're on the phone with a historical hysterical three-year-old yes like i said i can't imagine that so it's nearly five o'clock by the time that sheriff gene taylor arrives the kids are there in the trailer there has obviously been some sort of a struggle the dog is also there but the trailer is a mess. Um, There's no sign of Piper anywhere. The kids seem to be physically okay, although the little boy is totally silent, he won't speak, and the little girl is crying and still very upset and keeps repeating, mommy's going to die, a mean man took her. So, as the sheriff is talking, to Shaena, he gets a description from her that there had been a black vehicle with black wheels at the house earlier that day, that a man had come in, shot a gun, grabbed Piper, that he stole her brother's blue tent, which he had received the night before for as a birthday gift. And while the sheriff is getting this story from her, Vance, Piper's husband, the father of this little girl, gets home. The little girl is still crying, insisting that mommy's gonna die and that she's not coming back. So things happen very quickly with this case. This was not one of those cases where things were drawn out, you know, and everybody had to wait. So very quickly, even though they live, so far out on their 40 acres. Several witnesses are found during the investigation, and one couple does say that they saw a nervous young man go from Piper's trailer to a black Ford Bronco. So it seems like the story they had from the little girl is is jiving with what yeah. other people see, saw. Late that evening, that very same evening, on the 29th of July, Vance, Piper's husband, suddenly remembers that three days earlier, which had been a Friday, this 29th of July was on a Monday, this chubby balding guy in his mid-20s had visited their trailer. Vance said that he was very friendly, although he had a limp handshake. That wasn't the only strange thing was his limp handshake though. So he had shown up at their trailer at 730 in the morning. Vance was running a little late, hadn't left for work yet, and he saw him first. And when Vance approached him, the man immediately acted surprised that to see Vance mumbled something that he had driven by many many times and had noticed their Bible camp. And so he said that he wanted to sign up his children and about this time Piper came to the door of the trailer. The man introduced himself as Rob Anderson and said he would like to enroll his kids in their Bible camp. Piper and Vance informed him that it had ended for the year but they took his name and phone number on a sheet of paper and promised to call him with details.
1: That seems like a very strange
0: time yeah, I, I mean, if somebody showed up at my door at 7.30 in the morning that I'd never seen before, yeah, I feel like I'd be a little suspicious too. Yeah. so Doesn't take the police very long, the investigators, to find out that Rob Anderson is in fact a man named Robert Leroy Anderson. He's 26 years old. He's a high school dropout. He's already on his second marriage, was married once, divorced, now he's married again. He is the father of four, he lives in Sioux Falls, the same town where Piper worked in Vance, and he is a maintenance man at the meat packing plant there. And he works an 11 p.m. to 7:30 a.m. shift. Okay, so he works nights, mm-hmm. all right? So, law enforcement drives to his house and wake him up and say, "You know, we'd like to talk to you." He voluntarily gets into his blue Ford Bronco drives down to the police station where he is interrogated or, well, questioned for the next seven hours. And during that time, his Bronco and his home are also searched. So despite the fact that his Ford Bronco was blue and not black, the police find very incriminating things. The first that is that in his, the cargo area of his Bronco. He has built a plywood platform underneath the carpet. It has holes drilled into it that are used for restraints, either ankle or wrist restraints. They find a toolbox with chains and wooden dowels, which isn't maybe too strange on its own. They find a partial roll of duct tape, some furniture moving straps, and then here's where things also get worse. They find traces of a water-based black paint and dog hairs that look very similar to the color and type of Piper's dog. Hmm. So during his questioning, Robert uh, denies knowing anything about Piper. He does admit that the previous Friday he had visited their home at first he hems and haws about it but then he finally does admit that he was also there on that Monday claiming he had come back to check on the Bible camp or whatever he says that he wanted to use their archery range as well that he had noticed on his previous visit so he goes to the door knocks but nobody answers And he says that while he's standing there knocking, he can hear the TV, he can hear the children inside. So he just assumed she was taking a nap. So he leaves, according to him. Kind of a strange conversation continues with the police. During his seven hours with them, he starts talking about the fact that when he was a boy, he had a speech impediment, and maybe that's not too unusual. But he then goes on to tell the police that he has a very strong interest in anal sex, but his wife does not share his interest. How and why that came up, (laughs) I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know where that would be important for them to know. Very strange
0: conversation that I'm sure set off their alarm bells, aside from all the things that they found in the Bronco. Another thing that was very strange is that two years prior to this, A 29-year-old woman named Larissa Dumansky had vanished from Sioux Falls, South Dakota.
1: And guess where she worked? Probably the same meatpacking plant that this Robert worked at. Bingo, bingo. So, And she was
0: last seen in the parking lot of that same meatpacking plant and had never been seen or heard from sense. He is asked about this as well during his questioning. He claims to know nothing at all about that, like acts like he didn't even know about the disappearance, claims total ignorance basically. So back at his trailer, so investigators were questioning him, they have searched his bronco, they were also able to search his trailer. During that search they find a pair of his jeans which are stained with blood and semen. They are able to test them, but the source was inconclusive, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's because in 1996, you know, if the DNA wasn't quite as, I don't know, you know, just quite as good as it is today, or if somehow it had been damaged, whatever. They also find two handcuff keys and a container of black water-based paint. And while they're talking to Anderson's neighbors, they find one who tells them that on the 29th, he recalls Anderson leaving his home and then coming back around two in the afternoon, at which point he very carefully and thoroughly cleaned the inside of his Bronco.
1: Apparently not well enough because they found the dog hair. Right. Okay.
0: So Anderson when confronted with this evidence does admit that the handcuff keys are his, but they doesn't have any handcuffs to go with them. He just has handcuff keys. Mm. So he denies his neighbor's story that he was very carefully cleaning out his Bronco on the 29th. Despite his denials, he is brought in for a lineup. Vance, Piper's husband, IDs him as the man who visited on the 26th of July and their daughter, is able to ID him as the mean man who came to the trailer and took her mother. So on the 2nd of August, 1996, the Sioux Falls police arrest Anderson for kidnapping Piper. And that's all they can do at this point. They don't have a body. They don't have a body. They don't have any other evidence about what may or may <clears throat> not have happened to her. So that's only, what, three, four days mm-hmm. right after all of this happened. So it
1: went quickly good job yes. to
0: the sheriff's department they did an awesome job even
1: though it did take them 45 minutes to get to the house <laughs> yeah.
0: as they're continuing the investigation they are trying to find evidence where's piper what happened to piper you know to figure out what happened after he removed her from the trailer and they end up being helped by a botanist at south dakota university a man named gary larson but he is able to identify some plant matter that was found on Anderson's toolbox as something called honewort and black snake root. And these are two plants that grow along the Big Sioux River near the small town of Baltic, South Dakota. So the police kind of hone in there and they are helped by the fact that on the same day that she disappeared, half of Piper's torn t-shirt had been found by a motorist near Baltic. They searched the area thoroughly. They're able to find the other half of Piper's t-shirt beneath a small tree. And when they look up and investigate a little bit more closely, the branches of the tree held several lengths of wadded up duct tape with a whole bunch of human hair stuck in the adhesive. They also find a large dildo and a used candle that had been partially burnt. So they're able to take all of these things back to the lab. The hair is put under a microscope. There's no roots, I guess, for them to do DNA analysis. But when they put the hair under the microscope, it cannot be distinguished from Piper's hair. The duct tape strips that they found, one of those matched the end of the roll that was found in Anderson's Bronco. And when they searched the Bronco again and more thoroughly, they also found more hair that seemed to belong to Piper. So in addition, they had also found a folding knife in his Bronco, and when they did close analysis of that, there were bits of cloth fiber on it that matched the T-shirt that Piper had been wearing the day of her disappearance. So on the 8th of May, 1997, again, pretty quickly here, you know, just a few months later, he is found guilty of kidnapping Piper. However, they never find her body.
1: Like to this, still to this day, have still never to this, found this day,
0: Piper is. We do not know where she is. However, the police, the investigators, are able to piece together the events of what they believe happened on the 29th. Okay. So it's pretty obvious that he had been casing the Strayless place for some time. Yeah. So on the morning of the 29th, he drives to their trailer. He bursts in, gets into the trailer somehow. He handcuffs Piper. He takes back the note with his name and phone number on it that he had left supposedly for the Bible camp information. Carries Piper physically to his Bronco. He did fire off a gun at some point to scare her, you know, probably to Until he could get the handcuffs on her. I'm not sure. They didn't say the exact chronology of events, but the little girl had claimed that the mean man had fired a gun in the trailer, and that does seem to be the case. Did
1: the police ever find a gun?
0: I don't, I didn't find anything about them finding the gun, but I'll I'll get to that in just a minute. So he carries Piper to the Bronco, he drives to this small town of Baltic, you know, out kind of in an isolated area. He secured her to that wooden platform in his Bronco, gagged her with duct tape, cut her T-shirt open, and it's very obvious that he raped and tortured her before he killed her. After he does this, he goes back to her trailer because in the struggle with her, he had lost his watch. And so he does admit, or somebody knows, that he goes back, gets the watch, and the shell casing from when he fired the gun. So those things are are done. And this is probably when the neighbors saw him. Mm -hmm. They then think that he drove back to his home and somewhere on the drive home, he pulled over and washed off the black water-soluble paint that he had hurriedly put all over his Bronco to try to disguise it. And then when he got home, cleaned the interior, although as you pointed out, none too well. As we said he was sentenced to life in prison but that's not the end of his story. Investigators of course think there's more to it and so even though Piper is never found, on the 4th of September of 1997 he is charged with raping and murdering Piper as well as Demansky, the woman who had disappeared two years prior. There were people who knew him who came forward and talked about the fact that he was very open and had talked to them that he wanted to kidnap and rape and kill somebody. And in fact, somebody helped him in the Domanski case. What? There was a guy that he also worked with at this meatpacking plant, last name was Walker. They started talking about this and how that comes up in conversation that you just think, hey, let's talk about kidnapping and raping and killing somebody and somehow you bond over this. This Walker guy helped him kidnap the Demansky woman, claims that he didn't take part in her murder, that he just watched uh, Anderson rape her repeatedly and then murder her and he took the police to where they had buried Demansky. Weird part of that story, when they go and find this grave where she's buried, there's only the remains of about half of a person. Somebody had gone back and taken things. There was no sign of an animal disturbing the grave. To this day, they don't know what happened to about half of her bones and remains.
1: That's weird.
0: Yes. So on the 6th of April, 1999... He is found guilty of both of these murders. Good. On the 9th of April, a jury votes for him to get the death penalty by lethal injection. Of course, his father committed suicide. And some people think that that might be what set him off. Others think that it was pretty clear that he wasn't gonna win any of his appeals. And so on the 30th of March, 2003, he was found dead he had hanged himself with a sheet tied to a bar and that is the end with robert leroy anderson
1: i'm still bizarre that they only found half of her body like that <laughs> that's bonkers to me well that was i like that one that was Thank you. i mean so I broke I broke my historical thing on that's my okay. second
0: excursion out, that's but I okay. thought you'd appreciate it for I did, the. I did. I, I enjoyed that one. Good.
1: I think that's it for today, and we will be back on Thursday. Which I'm excited about South
0: Dakota murder. I'm yeah. really excited too. I'm excited about it. So thanks for listening. See you next time.